The way we frame our economic development strategies is going to result in the outcome. If we just think big, large complexes like Hillcrest and Ford, uh, Highland Bridge, as, as the answers to St. Paul, well, that's not going to help people who are uh, at the base. And I know that if we want to have economic inclusion and if we are serious about it, it can happen. This is Bruce Corey, an economist and associate vice president for government and community relations at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bruce has spent over 20 years studying ethnic enclaves in the state, and he believes there is a clear path to bring these enclaves along as the state moves to secure its future. We know that ethnic enclaves have existed since the earliest days of Minnesota's statehood. But as the face of Minnesota changes, what does that mean for the ethnic enclaves going forward? I'm Brant Williams. And I'm Jonathan Rabb. And this is Untangled Roots. Before you can build a future, you have to be grounded in the present. One of the reasons ethnic enclaves are successful is that members of the enclave have a love of community that translates into an investment in that community. Va Meng Ta is the executive director of the Asian Economic Development Association. What I love about Little Mekong is that it feels like home. Besides all the good food, when I go there, I feel like I belong. And I think that's the definition of of a place that you want to be at, you want to go to, because you feel like you're with people you know, you feel like uh, you're welcome, you feel like even if you don't actually live there, you could stay there as long as you want. I, I live on the east side of St. Paul, and I work in Little Mekong, you know. So to me, both are home. Erica Trin is the owner of Ons Hairstylists in the Little Mekong District. She shared her hopes for the enclave to have national recognition in the future. What does Little Mekong mean to you? Uh, it's home. It's where my business is. It's where I want to see things thrive. Um, I want it to be a destination in Minnesota. Um, something on the map that's looked at from everywhere. Um, I guess kind of like a Chinatown in New York or Chicago, but Minnesota has Little Mekong. And so that's unique, but also a destination, but in Minnesota. Minnesota is still less diverse than the U.S. as a whole. 76% white and non-Hispanic, compared to 57% nationwide. But the diversity index, which shows the likelihood of bumping into someone of a different race or ethnicity on a scale from 0 to 100, jumped from 30 to 40, one of the largest moves in the U.S. Increasingly, Minnesotans outside of these ethnic enclaves recognize the value of what these enclaves add to our collective experience. You know what else is also interesting? Like, when you talk to other people about Minneapolis, like, a lot of the time we bring up the ethnic enclaves when describing the city. Oh, yeah, you got to come here. Yeah, we have good food in Minneapolis. Uh, have you tried the Vietnamese food? 
oh, you haven't had Hmong food. Oh, you haven't had Somali food. Oh, you haven't had, like, our Mexican food is really good up here. That's like an actual conversation that a lot of yeah. people have. Mm-hmm. And those are ethnic enclaves. And they are really, like, when we're talking to other people who aren't from here, we use these ethnic enclaves to describe who we are. Right. And we're not describing our own ethnic enclaves often. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really important thing, I think. So much of the growth of an ethnic enclave is rooted in traditional service-based business, often with individuals taking a financial risk and hoping it builds into a success. Bruce Corey wondered if this growth could be aided by using incubators. He shared his observations on Little Mekong. It has been uh, an amazing and creative uh, inspiration to see that evolve right from the businesses that began to take on uh, unique art and cultural uh, designs on buildings, and then the, the night market, and then the technical assistance. Uh, what I believe, and Wamein will collaborate, that in those little night mar- markets, there were incubators of future either food trucks or food trucks coming there and then launching on to something else, right? So, so there have been some dynamic movement around there. Little Mekong is a unique enclave because it is inclusive of several Southeast Asian cultures, among them Vietnamese, Hmong, and Thai. Bruce Corey is interested in seeing if this inclusive concept could be applied to a cross-cultural experience. The other uh, concept I'm very interested in is, can we build multi-ethnic malls concepts? So now you're bringing in one community uh, going to the because that's what I'm finding when I'm uh, we did this tour of cultural malls so I visited them Uh, so there's a uh, entrepreneur in Plaza Mexico Uh, young guy he sells t-shirts and stuff but he's not getting enough volume and he's paying rent every month and then I go to AJ Mall here uh, and they're selling East African products but not much volume because people do not know where it is. So I'm asking both of them, now what if you sold some of his products, and he kept some of yours, right? So how do you cross-connect people and create a multi-ethnic market? And now you expand the base. And one of the ideas I'm exploring in that site is to see how we can get that uh, cross-fertilization or cro- develop multi-international marketplaces of multicultures. And question is, will people come to them? So what could the evolution of an ethnic enclave look like? Is it the physical growth of a location? Is it more economic inclusion? Or is it embracing the value that comes from a growing cultural base of citizens? Bruce Corey worked with a group that proposed a new concept for St. Paul. So we came up with this concept after consultation with the uh, community around the World Cultural Heritage District. That if you come to this area of St. Paul, you'll see the world and experience the world with the ethnic art, music, uh, food, cuisine. And so that was the idea we built and were proposing. And uh, the interesting part of the idea uh, is what we are now have I've been articulating as a new strategy in economic development. 
the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And what was that stone? It's it, the value of our African, Latino, Asian, Native American communities have been denied uh, as not valuable. Uh, I mean, the cultural assets. So anything that was, uh, we've, we've seen records, whether it's in the museums or in, in the way people uh, lifted images of uh, or celebrated images, the values of this uh, of these communities were not fully acknowledged, celebrated. But also a deeper part of it is that when you deny someone's value, you can exploit them. So uh, the foundation of racism is the denial of value and the de denial of humanity of someone. So what the strategy of economic development is, it celebrates your cultural assets. So now if you go to uh, Rondo, to Golden Time Cafe, or you go to Taste of Rondo, the owners are proud that they are serving something culturally unique. And the people who are coming there are seeing their culture celebrated and they feel empowered and they go to these places to get that unique flavor and experience. And as that happens, we are building wealth. So Vamain, uh, a pioneer in this idea, uh, took was inspired to create this concept called Little Mekong. If you go to down this section of University Avenue, you'll get the experience of Asia, uh, countries around the Mekong. And then uh, the other brilliant idea is about the night market that you didn't have to go to. You've gone to Bangkok and you've gone to those bazaars of the night markets. You you didn't have to go there. You could experience it right in uh, the main. And when you uh, go to those events, uh, you it it is unmistakable to see the pride in people's the upbeat spirit when they're seeing their own culture celebrated, acknowledged, and everybody going there. Even as ethnic enclaves continue to grow, we have to acknowledge that the path forward isn't without challenges. Many enclaves are still trying to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. And for enclaves like Little Mekong, there was the added challenge of being caught in the civil unrest that occurred following the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer in 2020. We asked Bruce Corey what would be lost if an enclave like Little Mekong couldn't find a way to recover. I think St. Paul will lose its soul because right now, Rondo and Little Africa and Little Mekong, and then if you go on the east side, you have the area around Clue. They haven't really been named, but on the west side, the District del Sol area... Uh, and we go on West Savit now, an emerging area by the airport, right? Those are those are the voices, the economic voices that didn't have a chance to emerge in the history of St. Paul. Lately, I begin to go back to the old name of St. Paul and not call it St. Paul. It's still Pig's Eye. So Pig's Eye was named after the the person who owned the bar in St. Paul and. And we tried to create this image of the city by naming it St. Paul. But it has not lived up to its reputation fully um, because it has not allowed these, alt these uh, indigenous voice economic players and wealth building to occur. And this strategy of economic development was to help 
at kind of a bottoms-up strategy, trickle-up strategy that would build neighborhoods as they expand. So the point of all of this is that the way we frame our economic development strategies is going to result in the outcome. If we just think big, large complexes like Hillcrest and Ford, uh, Highland Bridge, as, as the answers to St. Paul, well, that's not going to help people who are at the base. And I know that if we want to have economic inclusion and if we are serious about it, it can happen. Ethnic enclaves represent a piece of Minnesota's past, present, and future. It's a history of diversity that has left a permanent cultural imprint on the state. And it's an exposure to ethnic and cultural practices that have now become a standard part of the Minnesota experience and a path forward that is full of possibilities for Minnesota citizens and communities. Thank you so much for listening. Untangled Roots is a production of NPR News and part of our North Star Journey Project. Untangled Roots would not have been possible without the work of many people, including executive producer Sarah Glover, producers Twyla Dang and Brent Williams, hosts Brent Williams and Jonathan Rabb, sound design and mixing Alex Simpson, researcher Ann Harrington, with original music by Greg Grease. You can learn more about Untangled Roots, the North Star Journey Project, and find additional resources by going to the NPR News website at nprnews.org. Untangled Roots was made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.